0: Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host Andrew Schiestel and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean Basin. I'm joined today with Dr. D. Klayman for a conversation about the life of Queen Berenice II of Egypt who lived in the 3rd century BCE BC. Dr. Klayman is professor of classics and executive officer of the PhD program in classics at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York based in the state of New York in the US. This year, she's also a member of the Institute for Advanced Studies in Princeton, New Jersey based in the US as well. She's the author of numerous publications in her career, including a book that's very germane to this conversation today, Bernice II in the Golden Age of Ptolemaic Egypt, Women in Antiquity, which was published by Oxford University Press. Welcome to the call, Dee.
1: Thank you, Andrew. I'm delighted to be here.
0: It's uh, wonderful to have you on the show, Dee, and to uh, speak with you today. So a broad question to get the conversation going. Um, Who was, and if if you could summarize, who was Bernice II?
1: Um, Berenice II, or Berenike, if we want to use a Greek pronunciation, was a queen of Egypt. She was the wife of the third Ptolemy, that's Ptolemy Euergetes, and she was um, a person, a very interesting person, with agency, with money, with influence, and with power. And this is very rare uh, for a woman in the ancient world and rarer still that we know some things about her which make her a very interesting player at a very uh, important time in, in Greek history.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so what's known about when and where she was uh, born?
1: Berenike well, was born in the city of Cyrene Now, Cyrene is a Greek city, was a Greek city, on the coast of North Africa, in what is now Libya. In fact, what is now Shahat, Libya. Uh, It was originally a Greek colony. Um, The Greeks arrived from the island of Thera, which is now called uh, Santorini, in the 6th century BC. And they built there an enormous... Greek city, um, with a temple of Zeus that was infinitely larger than the Parthenon in Athens. Um, it was an important Greek city because of the fertility of the land around it. In, um, in Greece in the 6th century, uh, there was a overpopulation. It was impossible to support all the people uh, on the rocky soil of of Greece, and so it was a, as an age of colonization. And uh, Cyrene was one of the most successful uh, of the Greek colonies. She, her father, who was called Magus, uh, called himself the king of Cyrene. He was not actually related to the original kings but was the stepson of the first Ptolemy, Ptolemy I, Ptolemy Soter, as he's often called, um, of Egypt, and was sent by his stepfather to to bring Cyrene closer to the Ptolemaic orbit. Um, He was quite successful in doing that. And his court, was known not only for its its wealth, but for the intellectual uh, life that Magus created there. There were philosophers, there were poets, and Berenike was his only child and she absorbed all of this. So she was not only wealthy um, but she was well educated and dedicated to the arts and the sciences, and that proved to be very important when she became Queen of Egypt.
0: Is the specific... Do scholars know the specific year she was born, by chance?
1: No, um, they do not. It is assumed that she was born around 264, and the way they come to that date is that her Her father died in about 250. Um, Historians say that he overate and uh, Mm. (laughs) killed himself that way. It's not at all clear that that's true. But um, previous to his death, he had betrothed her to the son of the second Ptolemy, Ptolemy Philadelphus, who was... His stepbrother and roughly the same age. Um, but when she went, when after her father died, her mother had a completely different idea of who she should marry. Her mother was a Seleucid. She was related to the Seleucids. Um, they were another of the families uh, that had inherited part of alexander the great's empire you know after his death it was divided up among four of his um, most important marshals and um, the seleucids and the ptolemies were the most successful and the wealthiest and although there was always tension among the Diadochi, the successors of Alexander the Great um, they were also in the business of intermarrying with one another so uh, Berenike's mother wanted her to be connected to the Seleucid family rather than to the Ptolemies Um, so instead of going to Alexandria at this moment to marry, yeah. <clears throat> sorry, Ptolemy, Ptolemy's son. A new suitor arrived in Cyrene. Um, and his name is his historians call him Demetrius the Fair. Um, and Demetrius arrived very arrogant and apparently married Berenike right away. So she would, she would have been at this time around maybe some, somewhere between 14 and 16 years old. This is very young by modern standards, but it was quite typical of the marrying age for a Greek aristocrat. Um, but he also began an affair with her mother. So he's married to the daughter. He's having an affair with the mother. And Berenike was totally outraged by him, by the situation. And she called in some of her followers, and she burst into the bedroom where she found them together and had him dragged out and killed. Well, she, the story goes anyway, protected her mother, told them not to hurt the mother, but to just dis- dispose of this husband of hers. So the next thing historians know is that she's in Alexandria marrying Ptolemy. Uh, You may ask why she did this, besides being angry and embarrassed at the actions of her mother. um, It was also the case that Ptolemy was infinitely more powerful and infinitely richer. Um, And she arranged for herself Um, a better deal in life. I mean, for a woman to do this in ancient Greece is just unheard of. It's extraordinary. It's totally out of the question. She did it. Um, And she didn't hesitate to do it in a violent way, which is interesting, too. So she arrived in Alexandria, and... Ptolemy kept his promise, and she married the third Ptolemy. We don't know anything about the wedding exactly when it happened. Um, but theirs was a long and successful marriage
0: okay um thank you Dee. there's there's a a lot happened in her life over a few it sounds like oh, right. over a few That's right. yeah, over a few years um and I want to and obviously we'll spend some good time on her um her marriage right and uh her being queen and uh in her career and, and that that stuff and then her later life i want to i want to uh follow up on a few things in the earlier period of her life so was so was she uh was she technically married to demetrius
1: you know it's not it's not clear okay. um there is at least one historian um uh, justin who describes her mother, as Demetrius's mother in law. So that suggests that they were married. And there is absolutely no reason why Demetrius would not have married her immediately. Um, there was nothing to impede the marriage. She couldn't have stopped it. And her mother would have gained the most by uh, having them married as soon as possible so it is widely assumed and assumed by me that they were married
0: okay um and what were the what were the um laws at that point in time because it sounds like she mur- it sounds like she uh either murdered him or had him murdered i think he said something like that um and so can you speak about what the what the uh legal environment would have would have been and were there special exceptions because it sounds like she was Part of a, a royal family? Can you can you speak about the milieu around around uh, how how laws would would be at play in this conversation?
1: Laws would not be relevant at all. They were kings. They were queens. They could do whatever exactly they wanted to do. And in the history of Macedonia, it was a very typical thing for violence to occur after the death of a royal figure with the, the factors people who thought they should inherit the titles and the wealth and the land squared off against one another. This was very common. Uh, for example, when uh, Ptolemy I died, his heir, um, and it was very clear in some ways who his heir should be. His his eldest son, who became Ptolemy Philadelphus, knocked off, killed, eliminated all of his political rivals. He killed two half brothers. He killed um, a step brother. He just just had them done away with. Um, and the same thing happened when. The third Ptolemy, Berenike's husband, died. His heir eliminated everyone in sight who could object um, to his becoming king and pharaoh, including Berenike. She was murdered by her own son, just as she had murdered her her first husband. So, um, so no, the legal situation for for the rest of the people of Cyrene was completely irrelevant
0: okay and and then if 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 someone wasn't royalty um like in this period of time in in uh, this this region of the of the of the world there would have been there would have been laws right but is it that there, yes. there was some exceptions if that person really had the most might kind, kind, <laughs> kind, kind, kind of thing yeah
1: that's exactly right. Uh, they were laws. They were uh, murder was a, uh, of course, a, a capital crime. And, um, but it didn't apply to bear anything.
0: Okay. Wanted to clarify that, the kind of the legal landscape uh, in this area in this period of time. So her father actually was not king of... Egypt. Her father was king of a of a city state or a region in what would be present day uh, Libya called Cyrenaica. That's correct. That's oh, correct. Okay. Did I do? Did did I pronounce that reasonably well, Cyrenaica? I I,
1: I, I always use the English pronunciation, which is Cyrene, okay. um, but but you could call it the Cyrenaica, which would include Cyrene and the land around it. There there were group of small cities uh, around it.
0: Okay. So that, yeah. Cyrena?
1: I so I always say Cyrene.
0: Cyrene, that, that okay. That
1: transliterates the Greek eta into an E sound.
0: Cyrene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if I was, uh, sometimes I have to ask twice because if I was listening to the podcast, I would just press the 15 second back button, but I have no ability to do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, um, and so uh, her father uh, ha- had a familial, a, a more of a distant familial relationship with the Ptolemies in Egypt.
1: Yes, he was a stepson of, of the first Ptolemy. Of, the first Ptolemy had a number of different wives, some of them simultaneously. Um, this was a uh, a Macedonian. Sort of penchant for polygamy, and his um, his last wife was Berenike the first. She had come to uh, to Alexandria with her cousin, who was Arsinoe the first, and, um, and and Ptolemy fell in love with her. With with the cousin, and made her the number one wife, and her son was Ptolemy the second, and he became Philadelphus. And um, but Berenike, when she came to Alexandria, already had children, and Magus was one of those children. Okay. So he had yeah. He was sent out by his stepfather as a kind of trusted uh, agent. Okay. And after the stepfather died, he announced that he was king. He made himself king.
0: Okay. So she gets to Alexandria. Is that correct? At that point, that's where we kind of left off there? Yes. Okay. Um, do you want to pick it up uh, at that point? Then about some of the major things that's known in her her life. I believe you were you either got to the point of her marrying uh, Ptolemy the third, or was about to when she arrived.
1: Right. They did get married. She, he became pharaoh. They married apparently right after he became pharaoh first, and then they became. Then they married. Um, and. She, when she arrived at Alexandria, she would not have known very many people there. There's no evidence that she ever had come there before. Um, but there were some important people from Cyrene in the court, in the courts of the Ptolemies. The Ptolemies employed people from all over the Mediterranean. Uh, one of them was Callimachus. Callimachus of Cyrene, who was the most important influential poet at that time. He was very close to Berenike, and he wrote a great deal about her in his poems. So so she arrives in Alexandria, and there is immediately a political crisis uh, with the Seleucids, the uh, third Ptolemy, who called call him Euergetes, because that was his title, his epiclesis, had a sister who married um, Antiochus, a, a king of, uh, well, of the Seleucid Empire. Um, she had an infant son. The son died, and... No, sorry, the son is not yet dead. She has an infant son. The old man dies first. And this, she wanted her infant son to inherit his title and his wealth, but in fact he has children from a previous wife, and the previous wife um, had reconciled with him and was living in the palace with him, and sure enough, the son, who was old, much older, of course, Um, took control of the empire and had both Ptolemy's sister and the baby killed. Um, Ptolemy set off to rescue his sister when he first got word that there was uh, an issue. This was in his first year of marriage. Uh, He got there too late. sister was dead the baby was dead Um, he took the occasion to reconquer a number of cities that had been lost to the Seleucids um, on the the coast of Asia Minor cities like Miletus and and so he sort of turned it into as much of a victory as he could although he couldn't help his sister Um, during his absence, and just after his return, Callinicus celebrated the occasion with a very important poem. Okay. Um, it's called The Lock of Berenice, or The Coma of Berenice. Um, the reason we know about this poem is that it was translated into Latin by Catullus in the first century BCE, and it was a fairly accurate translation of the Greek original. This is an incredibly rare thing that happened, but it indicates um, what a great poem this is, and it's the reason why we we know about it today, I and mean, since then, in the modern period, there have been... Uh, papyrus discoveries, mm-hmm. uh, which contained fragments of the poem. So we can sort of rebuild part of the Greek original from these fragments, but our ability to do that is really based on the Latin translation. We can look at the Latin translation and figure out where the different uh, bits of Greek should have gone. Um, and it's it's a marvelous poem. And um, in this poem, Berenike dedicates a lock of her hair um, at the temple of Arsinoe Aphrodite in Zephyrum. This was an enormous temple uh, on the coast, on the Mediterranean coast, that was built and dedicated um, by one of the... Um, uh what would you call him well the the, the friends one of the close associates and actually an admiral of Ptolemy mm-hmm. Philadelphus his name is Callicrates mm-hmm. and um anyway it's a temple to Arsinoe the second who was the wife the second wife of um of Ptolemy mm-hmm. Philadelphus and um she became a kind of template for uh for berenike and berenike in the poem dedicates a lock of her hair there and the next morning everyone gets up and discovers that the lock is gone it's disappeared and kunan who was an important astronomer and mathematician of uh, living in alexandria at the time working at the uh, Uh, the museum and the library said that he discovered it in the heavens it was it had become a constellation the coma Berenice. that constellation still is up there it's a real constellation it still has her name Mm. it's the only constellation of this period that was named after a historical figure and uh, the poem is very amusing. It's it's told um, by the lock himself, he or she, depending on which, whether you read Catullus or Callimachus, uh, describes a pain, uh, let's say, that he felt when he was cut from her hair, and uh, how cold and hard it is up there in uh, in, this, in, in the heavens. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful tribute to her because it sort of prefigures her divinity. Um, the Ptolemies all made cults for themselves and hoped to be, um, well, to be immortal, not physically immortal. Even they knew that that would be impossible. But... Um, but somehow to live forever. And uh, this was a um, hope to be a, a symbol of Veronique's uh, future position up in the heaven. Um, and it, it was a huge success in antiquity, this poem. And we, as I say, we still have the Catullus's translation of it, so you can read it when
0: you have time. It's Catullus 66. So D D, um, is that, is that poem, is that, uh, available? Cause I can drop a link, uh, to it in the show notes, uh, for people when this episode goes up. Is it online somewhere where someone could actually yes. read it? Okay.
1: I'm sure, I'm sure it is. I'd have to look around for it.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, the Latin text would be on a site called the Latin library, but there are also translations of it. Um, Okay. Will, I'll find
0: it for you and send it to you. That's great, Dee. Thank you. And I want to yeah. I want to clarify um, so that I'm keeping up with the um, with the narrative here. This uh, um, what, what, what 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 occurred. So the poem was written by Caligamus, the poet. Um, Calligimus, yeah. Okay, and then um, and then was the poem actually about Baron Nike? Well, what I want to try to connect is Ptolemy's sister who was murdered. Um, who who was uh, with within the uh, Seleucid Empire? Did I can can you help me connect the dots there?
1: Um. Yes, there's a confusion. Mm-hmm. I mean, there could be a confusion, and in fact, uh, scholars are confused about another set of poems uh, which refer to Berenike and are not sure whether it's Berenike Syrah, which is. The name of the sister or berenike the queen
0: okay there's two different uh, berenikes okay
1: <laughs> in this case it is definitely the queen uh, there's no question about that uh, the setting is alexandria the moment is when ptolemy the third went to syria to rescue his sister and came back all near in one piece Um, so there's no question about which Berenike this is.
0: Okay. So, um, so she's married to Ptolemy the third. There is, um, challenges that the dynasty, uh, is having with the Seleucid empire. I think you, you mentioned that, right? Um, so, so what, what comes next? Can you speak about, so she's going through her, her life, uh, does she have? Does she end up having uh, children? Uh, was she involved in any major policy decisions? Um, can you can you share a, a few of those things?
1: Well, she um, she had six children, mm-hmm. and we know the names of five of them, um, and then there's the sixth one we don't know, um, and we uh, know about them largely through statues that were made for them, family group statues uh, that were set up in Greece. Um, there's one at um, Delphi and one in Thermos, I think, mm. but that was set up by the Aetolian League. And we don't have their statues, but we have the statue bases. And um, typically with a Greek statue, the base would have the name of the person. Um, not the statue itself, which, of course, causes all sorts of problems um, when we find statues without bases. In this case, we have the bases without the statues. Uh, So we know the names of five of her six children and something about the fate of three of them. Well, four of them, four of them. The first two are... uh, the eldest was Arsinoe the Third, and she married her brother uh, Ptolemy the Fourth. Um, and this is the Ptolemy that killed his mother, our Berenike, and um, so he inherited the, the throne of Egypt. And his sister was his, uh, also his wife. Uh, we can talk about that. Uh, next if you like uh, there was also um, a daughter the, the princess Berenike, who died young and suddenly and became the center of a fertility cult she died while the Egyptian priests were having a synod so they were able to arrange an elaborate funeral for her and uh created a cult uh, on her uh behalf of which she's the central figure then there was another child uh who died young whose name we don't know and there was finally another son named magus after his grandfather and he was also killed by his brother Ptolemy. Fourth. Okay. Yeah, a very able guy. And if any of them could have challenged the fourth Ptolemy for the throne, it would have been this Magus. But he was wiped out. He was actually scalded to death in his bath. Um, We're talking about, you know, violent uh, measures brought to bear in order to establish political priorities
0: what uh so she was queen of can can you describe what she was technically queen of like what territories so that that comes comes across
1: well she was queen of upper and lower egypt egypt is ancient egypt um was a country basically um that that created itself around the Nile because every year the Nile flooded and fertilized the land around it um, and it became, uh, so, so those that was the area that was most um, wealthy and, and most important in, in Egypt. Uh, Alexandria itself, as you know, is on the Mediterranean coast and therefore was the um, center of shipping and trade and the uh, the crops that were grown uh, in the Nile Basin could be shipped out from Alexandria all over the world, and it was an important source of, mm. of food for, for Greece and elsewhere, as um, as were the Greek cities around the Black Sea. But um, so there was that, and there were other geographical areas the Ptolemies controlled, like the Cyrenaica and. Mm-hmm. Um, islands in the Mediterranean and certain important cities on the coast of Asia Minor. She was queen of all of that.
0: Okay. Um, So can you speak about um, how she was as a queen from a policy perspective, what she might have been spending a lot of her time on professionally?
1: Well, interestingly, this is the part of her life we don't know very well. In fact, you could say we don't know at all. There's there's one uh, vignette uh, that has her making a policy decision about um, about dowry law in one of the uh, the cities that was under uh, under Ptolemaic control. Uh, which safeguarded the dowries of young women whose fathers had died before they were married. That shows her interested in women's issues um, and also taking part in policy formation. But that's it. There's no evidence that she ever had anything to do with foreign policy, for example, or anything to do with military uh, decisions or economic ones, for that matter. So that was very circumscribed, but she must have been active in the cultural life mm-hmm. of the city since she seems close to uh, to the poets and some of the uh, philosophers, to Eratosthenes, who was the librarian at Alexandria, mm-hmm. and to Callimachus, who was the most powerful, uh, of the courtiers who, uh, who came from the arts and sciences.
0: Is anything known about her religious orientation?
1: Um, no, but she and her husband uh, founded a, a new enormous temple to Serapis. Now, who exactly Serapis was, is somewhat controversial. He seems to have been an Egyptian figure who the Greeks rethought and rebranded, if you will, um, as a suitable Egyptian deity for Greeks to uh, support, to worship, to. And um, she must have been involved with that. As... Queen, she would have been um, kind of an automatic titular priestess of, of various cults. Remember where we're talking about a polytheistic society where there are Greek gods and goddesses, there are Egyptian gods and goddesses, and sometimes they shared temples with each other. Um, and It was possible to have a very pluralistic religious orientation and I think that she probably did
0: okay so let's work our way to the later period of her life and I think you um, mentioned it indirectly when you're speaking about her children but let's spend a moment on the later period of her life so um, can you summarize what happened in the later period of her life uh, including um, how she died
1: well, her marriage seems to have been quite successful. There is no evidence in the historians, such as we have it, um, of her husband having any other love interests. Uh, he died of natural causes in 222 BCE. And his presumptive heir was his oldest son, who uh, became Ptolemy IV? But Ptolemy IV and his political supporters were very concerned about his position because of the history of the Macedonians uh, uh, squaring off against each other for the right to be king. And so he uh, had murdered. Um, around him, his brother, Magus, um, an uncle, of uh, Lysimachus, and Berenike herself. Mm-hmm. He was afraid his mother would prefer Magus. I don't know. that They, they must have been close. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Uh, we don't know. But that was his fear, and so he acted on that. And he was egged on by one of his ministers, Uh, who probably arranged uh, all the murders. And that was the end of Berenike. But no sooner did he murder her when he added her to the cult, to the Ptolemaic cult, and she was immortalized. Hmm. So there was a little hypocrisy going on here.
0: Okay. So... We've reached in this conversation the end of Berenice, uh, Berenike's life. How do you think, she lived a a very active life in a a, a lot of ways, Um, how do you think she should be remembered?
1: Well, I think she should be remembered as a strong woman, um, as a woman with agency, who took charge of her own life to the extent that she could um, as a supporter of the arts and the sciences and um, as someone who did what she could uh, to make her life and the life of the people around her as good as possible.
0: Thank you for coming on the show today, Dee, and sharing your knowledge on, uh, on this topic.
1: Thanks, Andrew. It was great to be here.
0: Okay, everybody, if uh, you'd like to pick up a book that's very germane to Bernice's life and read up in more detail about the life this woman lived, um, Dr. Clayman wrote the book, Berenice II and the Golden Age of Ptolemaic Egypt, Women in Antiquity. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Dee and everybody listening, as always, wishing a marvelous journey. Bye for now.
1: Bye-bye, Andrew.
0: Thank you. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.